and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. It's good to see you guys here. So glad that you're here to worship. And let's get his word out now. The central part of our worship here is his word preached. Uh, If you'd like to go ahead and get your Bibles out, we'll be continuing our series uh, titled The Bent Tree Discipleship Pathway. I hope you brought your Bibles. We're in week three. If for some reason you missed week one or two, let me just encourage you, go back and pick that up wherever you get podcasts or even on YouTube. Share those things. Make sure you understand this because this is a sea change for Bent Tree. This is a very special service. It's really this cornerstone of a way to do ministry, a new way, a new paradigm, and yet it's not new. It goes all the way back to Scripture. It doesn't change our core values. Nothing changes about that. I mean, biblical truth is still our core anchor, right? It's our anchor point. We're still committed to generational faith, extravagant worship. That's who we are. But it's this command of Jesus given to his disciples, his followers, just before he ascends back into heaven, after his resurrection, before he ascends back into heaven, the command of Jesus, or what we often refer to as our great commission from Jesus to go and and, and make disciples. Now, maybe you know this well, but let Jesus uh, charge to us as believers ring in our ears. If you would, stand with me. Uh, Just out of reverence, if you're able to, stand with me as I read this passage for us today. Here it is. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Look at that word go in your Bible, in your lab. The word go, the word baptizing, the word teaching, those are all participles or or secondary verbs, if you will. The main verb is what? Is, Is make. The the participles that we are to do and to make disciples. The, the first step in making disciples is that we, we call that evangelism. Sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with those who are far from him. Now, it, it's this analogy or this picture of the pathway that we've talked about that a discipleship walks towards spiritual maturity and then begins to grow in their faith that we used last week. For you just joining us, the, uh, down, going up the discipleship pathway is this picture of a Christian maturing. It is what matures them, the Holy Spirit, as they walk the, the pathway through life. As they climb these four mountain peaks that we have. Those four mountain peaks are Share Mountain, Connect Mountain, Serve Mountain, and Discipleship Mountain. Now, what you learn at each point along the way or on each of those peaks prepares you for another phase in the journey. 
In other words, as you travel up this discipleship pathway, the lessons you learned on that very first mountain share prepares you for the next mountain. And probably the most important thing we learned about Christian maturity in our spiritual lives is that once you reach the very top up here, real Christian maturity shows because those people come back down and help other people walk up that mountain. Your discipleship pathway prepares you for that. To walk with new believers, immature believers, and helping them grow spiritually into the creation God designed them to be. That is at the very heart of this process embedded in the name D3. D3 is shorthand for disciplers, discipling disciples. It's the church being the church. That's what we do. Individuals in the church functioning in their specific gift set inside the family we call the church, helping each other grow into that spiritually mature person. Because the goal of discipleship is, yes, helping people grow into spiritual maturity so that the church then can become everything we are called to be as a group. Well, if you would, let's just take a moment, close your eyes, let's pray together as we get started today. As you get ready to pray, just are there things in your life that you need to repent of right now? Things you've let build up. Christians, we're famous for letting sin creep into our lives, even just a tiny bit. Can, can you just repent of whatever's crept in? Now, we can rest in the forgiveness. Repenting doesn't re-save you. It just reestablishes your connection with God at a deeper level. So rest in the assurance that if you are in Christ Jesus, your sins have been forgiven, past, present, future. God, we come before you as a church family, but We're all individuals in different places. And and so I pray right now that you take us and make us uh, ready to hear your words. Take our minds and, and help us set aside any worries, any thoughts, and concentrate on what these words mean today. God, we thank you for the freedom to meet here. We thank you for each individual here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way, Pastor Jim Putnam and his team at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, have been just incredibly helpful to me and our team, our leaders, over the last couple of years as we've worked at putting together this discipleship pathway of best ways to help people grow in their faith. And what they shared with us through books and preaching, their materials, are real-world discipleship options there. Much of what I want to share with you today is insight we've gained from their uh, standing on their shoulders, that real-life discipleship. They've been awesome. Uh, as our church has grown and matured, we, we've always tried to make our resources, our practices, especially with our church plants in the area, I think we've got nine right now um, through the Southern Baptist. We share our resources with them, and, and that's always been a blessing. And then... Um, it's so cool to be able to see this 
them sharing their blessing with us. Well, as we just travel this discipleship pathway, as we examined last week in detail, I want each of us to ask ourselves a question. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Okay. What is the level of my spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus? What is the level of my maturity in Christ Jesus? Now you can think of that question this way. What is my ability then to climb up this pathway we've described last week and just now? Those four mountains. Like someone who is climbing Long's Peak for the very first time, you got to do some self-assessment, don't you, before you begin. And as you take on each part, let me introduce you to a way of thinking about this, this self-assessment. It's an analogy. I find it incredibly helpful, both in looking at myself and understanding where others are in their spiritual maturity. By the way, I want to make sure that you don't get this confused with the discipleship pathway itself, like the map we just looked at with the four mountains. This is a different analogy, but very similar in some overlap. We'll use them both, but this is about assessing where we are in spiritual maturity. When the people of the church understand the great commission that we just read, Jesus gives us followers, it's then that the Christians and the church can begin to work together as a team to make disciples. But what is critical to understand is where this question comes in, what is the level of my spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus? We always want to begin with determining where we are spiritually on our maturity, once we do that, then we can very carefully, we can use that as a tool to identify where someone else is in their spiritual maturity and, and how we can help them along this discipleship pathway, be an aid to them, be a friend. So if this analogy makes sense, think through this with me. We can think of our spiritual maturity as one of five stages of our spiritual maturity. Here it is. Number one, the five stages of spiritual maturity are, number one, the spiritually dead. The spiritually dead. Now this terminology, you recognize it right away, comes right out of scripture, doesn't it? The Apostle Paul, as he's addressing the believers in the church of Ephesus, they're believers now, but he's asking them to remember before they were believers. He says to them in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, And you, talking to these Christians, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, he's referring to Satan here, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved. Someone say amen. Amen. We could stop right there and preach a series just on this passage. But notice two things for our purposes right now. Paul calls those outside the faith dead in their sins. Meaning they are unable to respond to God on the uh, on their own since they are what dead they they they're alive physically but dead spiritually and thus they have no ability to respond to God. The word dead means separation. So alive physically is what he's talking about, but dead spiritually. No way to connect to God. That is, until God does what? Makes them alive with Christ. That's the exact words. Now notice, it's not uh, the dead that decide somehow to make themselves alive. Like, whoo, I'm alive now. It's grace through faith. God does the work in these dead by making them alive. This is talking about salvation. What Jesus called being born again or born from above or what we like to say here at Mentry, regenerated. That's completely a work of God alone. But until the Spirit of God, according to the sovereign plan and purpose of God the Father, gives the dead life, what does it say people are concerned about? Look at verse 3. The spiritually dead are only concerned about Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Whatever our little wicked minds can conceive of. What can't that, uh, why can't they see Jesus is the only means of salvation? Look at the second half of verse 3. It says, because they were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Our natural state, we're born into this world spiritually dead. How can we tell if someone is spiritually dead? Well, only God knows for sure. We can't tell. Our job is to share the gospel with everyone in hopes that God will use it as a means of salvation. But we leave that up to God to save them. But here's the phrases that might give some people some insight into a Someone's spiritual stage. The spiritually dead say things like, I don't believe in God. They say things like, the Bible's just a collection of stories and fables and and maybe just myth. They'll say things like, well, there's many religions. I just believe in all religions. They say things like, there's no hell. That's just someone, something someone invented to control people. They'll say things like, there is no absolute truth. They'll say, I believe God is so loving, eventually everyone will go to heaven in the end. They'll say, I'm a good person. I believe if there's a heaven, I'll get in because it's not like I've killed anyone. It's not like I'm a Hitler. We could list a bunch of things spiritually dead people say, but you get the idea, don't you? They'll usually tell you. But here's what I want you to understand. You can get at least a little bit of an inclination from the stage someone's spiritual uh, spiritual condition is in by the things that they say. You could call it the phrase from the stage. 
The stage that they're in, they'll tell you. Meaning whatever spiritual maturity someone is currently in, you can usually get a good idea which one by simply being quiet and listening. Jesus tells us in Luke 6.45 this very thing. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Listen to this. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus just lays some truth out for us, doesn't he? If you listen, people will reveal what's in their heart. That's going to be key in all these stages of spiritual maturity as we move forward today in the rest of our time together. But the best two words that describe spiritually dead are unbelief and rebellion against God. By the way, I find it incredibly interesting that many times we as Christians look at spiritually dead and then are surprised when they don't act like Christians. We pray for those in our lives we suspect are spiritually dead. I have a list of people in my prayer book that I pray for regularly. You you should too. You should have them listed out. Praying for their salvation. And, and, And we, the living, should always be ready to to be prepared to share the gospel story at any time. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 19, I put the word pray in here because that's uh, just before this. He's talking about praying. He says, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, we pray for the lost, for the spiritually dead, and we pray for each of them that we might, uh, we pray for each other that we might be bold in proclaiming the gospel to them. But once the Spirit of God does call someone to life in Christ Jesus, they are immediately in the second stage of spiritual development, and that is this. The five stages of of spiritual maturity are, number two, the spiritual infant. The spiritual infant. The five stages of spiritual maturity are, number one, the spiritually dead, the lost. Number two, the spiritual infant. Now remember, what we are asking here is, what's the level of my spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus? You keep asking that. If you are coming alongside someone you're trying to pour into and helping, the, helping up the discipleship pathway, you will be asking, what is their spiritual maturity? But first, you got to understand what yours is. Spiritual uh, infant is not meant in any way as some kind of insult, but as a descriptor. By the way, if you're a spiritual parent discipling someone, you don't want to use this term with them until you get to know them and you're very close with them and there's some trust there until they've used it first. Uh, Besides, just like a physical infant, it wouldn't make any sense to tell them anyway. Like, Hey, you're a baby. And they're like, they just won't know. Hey, you're such a baby. You're drooling. 
You know, it's like we all start out as spiritual babies, spiritual infants. No one is born physically mature or spiritually mature either. We use the phrase because when Jesus said in John 3, 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when someone is new in the faith or saved, we don't expect them to be mature yet. They simply just don't know very much. And it's important that more mature believers in the faith come alongside that spiritual infant and help them as they begin to grow. You can identify them pretty easily in a couple of ways. First is that they probably just made a public confession of faith and and they just got baptized. New Christians will tell someone, hey, I just got saved. But the other ways are the phrases from the stage they'll use. We call that, remember, phrase from the stage. Here's some of those. They'll ask like a little kid, why, 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 why? The, uh, why do I need to go to church? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we, why do we uh, need all these people in our lives? And, and they'll say things like, well, I've been hurt by people, and so it's just me and God. I don't need anybody else. That's a phrase a spiritual infant will say. They'll also misquote the Bible a lot and attribute things to the Bible that are just simply not there. You know, they'll say things like cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, they'll, they'll say uh, things like, well, they'll hear things and they'll go from Scripture and they go, I didn't know the Bible said that. Another way to tell someone uh, is spiritual is a spiritual infant is is that when they hear the doctrines the church has taught or even false doctrines, they come across the online or they hear some whacked out preacher, they don't know how to see if that's good doctrine or not. For instance, they may hear some false teacher on the radio that says something like, if you give me your money, God will cure you of cancer and you'll never get sick. Or if you believe, why are they always from the South? I just want to know that. Or if you believe nothing bad will ever happen to you, it won't, but you, you've got to believe. That shakes spiritual infants when they hear that stuff. It's like they easily get knocked over, boom, by false doctrine. Here's one that I see regularly. By the way, this is why... Uh, You want to have pastors and shepherding elders that you can go to and check out claims that you hear. So uh, how do you take care of spiritual spiritual infants? Or or how do you grow them? They'll hear things like, um, they'll hear things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's wrong. Spiritual infants don't know how to gauge that. You want to check with your shepherding elder. The apostle Peter gives us great advice. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. In other words, if you're a Christian, what is pure spiritual milk? It's out of the Bible. It's God's word. Hearing it preached, the basics, the gospel, studying it with your D3 groups and on your own. 
interesting point here I want you to see is this is one of the huge reasons that I want you to put your children in Sunday school here every week. Those teachers are going to give them pure spiritual milk of the word. In other words, age-appropriate Bible truth that they can digest. By the way, I'm always so impressed by children that have grown up and and bent tree generations ministries. Do they know the Bible and they know it well. I, I love that. But the physical adults that are born again and are just starting their journey, they need pure spiritual milk too to start out with. And discipling these spiritual infants is really important. We'll be showing you some of the great resources we have available that you can come alongside a spiritual infant. And I know it sounds funny, but at first you gotta spoon feed them because they don't know how to feed themselves yet. They just don't know. Like, you've got to tell spiritual infants, time to eat. Like what? Like, come to church every week. That's when we get fed. It's when we as a family eat together. Come to your D3 group every week, as often as you meet. Now, make sure they know to ask questions and don't assume that they know something that you know. Remind them to read and pray every day. And again, they're not, if they're not there, you got to ask them, why weren't you here? At this stage, it's incredibly important that we as a church, especially the more mature members of the church, protect the spiritual infants from the effects of false doctrine. They're so vulnerable. Because just like a physical infant that tries to put all kinds of stuff in their mouth, spiritual infants can easily poison themselves if they don't, uh, if they put something in themselves and ingest it and they go, but I heard, uh, from this and even though it's another religion, maybe that's truth. And just as evil as it sounds, there's a bunch of bad folks that want to poison baby Christians with false teaching. They look for Spiritual infants. Now, quick note about what the Apostle Peter means here when he says that you may grow up into salvation. He's not saying that you earn your salvation or grow up into some kind of maturity and once you get that maturity, then Jesus saves you. That's not what he's saying. No, what he means is that in your salvation that you grow into spiritual maturity. But the main point we need to see here is that our job as a church family is that we give the spiritual infants the basics of what it means to follow Jesus and then hold their hand as they grow. Although we eventually want them to grow deep, to uh, grow deep in deep spiritual groups, we start off with the basics. We don't start off with the the five uh, points of the doctrines of grace. We we don't say, uh, hey, I know you just got saved last week, so you better start uh, trying to figure out what the, who the 144,000 are in the book of Revelation. You know, uh, yeah, what do you think? Who's the beast? We start off with the basics. We want to get them baptized to learn how to have a daily devotional time, how to read the Bible, how to pray, what to pray for. Get them plugged into classes of becoming a member. Get them started in a D3 group. Go with them to the D3 group. It's at this level we want to establish these solid relationships with other Christians in the church, solid regular discipleship habits of not missing church. Unless you're sick or out of town. By the way, there are some Christians that are saved, but they've never grown beyond being a spiritual infant. 
Some Christians have referred to these as fat babies. They've been spiritual infants for years, but they're like a 50-year-old dude wearing a diaper. You know, it's like, because they want to do, they want you to do everything for them, but they should have grown up a long time ago, but it's as if they are stuck. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 5, verse 11, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is what he's talking about right here. If a spiritual infant is walking the pathway with other believers, pressing forward in the journey, the next phase of spiritual development you'll start to see is this. The spiritual child. The five stages of spiritual maturity are the spiritually dead, the spiritual infant, the spiritual child. You see that where I'm going with this? Let me give you a warning here. If you're trying to determine your spiritual maturity, of your maturity, or if you're trying to determine someone else's spiritual maturity, what theirs is, don't compare levels of spiritual maturity out of pride or gloating. Because we were spiritual children, weren't we? And don't use it as an opportunity to gossip ever. By the way, if you do hear someone doing that gossiping, that is a sure sign of spiritual immaturity. Here's the tricky thing about this level of spiritual maturity. Don't be fooled. Years of attending church or even significant Bible knowledge doesn't necessarily speak to one's spiritual maturity. Years of attending church or even significant Bible knowledge doesn't necessarily speak to one's spiritual maturity. Notice what we're doing here. We're using now the language of family, aren't we? And that's who we are. The church is family. We are a spiritual family. By the way, this is why I ask you to become a member of this church family. Because in doing that, you are committing to the family. And the family is then committing you. I mean, you can keep attending and just being a friend and not a member of Bentry. But don't be fooling yourself into thinking that friends and family are the same thing. They're not. Back to spiritual children. Here's what the Apostle Paul often did in dealing with the spiritual child. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how... Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you his own, 
calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's right here in verse 12 when it says, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Brothers and sisters, that's what family does. We exhort, we encourage, we charge each other. What we see here is that if we are walking with someone on the discipleship peaks there, we can encourage, we can exhort them, but we can't, what we can't do is walk the path for them. We can't make them grow. We can't make them take action. And notice, they can't grow until they travel the pathway. Ultimately, it is God who brings spiritual growth as they face the trials of life. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my brothers, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. Now, Paul is encouraging those that have submitted to the lordship of Jesus in their lives to keep going. He says, persevere. He is about to physically lead them in this scenario right here. He's writing them. For a time, he says, I'm going to be physically gone. So when Paul says, work out your salvation, he's not saying they could lose their salvation if you don't do enough stuff. That's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is that you must do the work of traveling the discipleship pathway of following Jesus. And if you do, then you'll grow in your faith. But that is going to take a lot of work on your part. Each person is responsible for the work in their lives. If you want, uh, if you want, listen for the phrase from the stage a person says when a spiritual child says things like, um, don't multiply, don't multiply my D3 group just yet. I like it the way it is. A spiritual child will say, why is it so important that we reach people outside of here? I just like us. Can we just focus on us? They'll say things like, I hate the style of music here. I I wish they would do what I like. They'll say things like, I don't like so-and-so because they talk a certain way. Or they wear certain clothes. I can't make it to church because I've got work, too much work this week. I just need to rest. That's what a spiritual child says. They'll say things like, I can get close to God by going out into to nature. I feel close to God there, so I don't need to go to church. Here's one that I've, I've learned over my years. They'll say things like that. I'm not being fed at my church. I'm going to go to a different church that meets my needs better. And they bounce from church to church to church, not realizing that it might not be the church that is immature, but them. You see what links all those kinds of things together, don't you? Like spiritual infants, you can tell a spiritual child because everything uh, about the church and their lives is about them and what they can, what you can do to make life better for them. Children 
Babies, they're, they're, it's all about them. They're selfish because they're immature. They talk about their feelings a lot, their moods, what's driving them. They go, I'm happy or I'm sad. Spiritual children get their feelings hurt very, very easily. And they hold grudges. And they throw tantrums. Also, like spiritual infants, there are a lot of people that get stuck at this maturity level. I would say most people who are stuck in their spiritual maturity growth are stuck here. What grows people, again, is solid biblical preaching every Sunday that digs deep and being a part of a small group we call D3. Being connected to a church family and starting to serve in ministry is huge for the spiritual growth here. Spiritual children need these relationships with spiritual parents that help them walk along this. And it's at this level that you really want them to be able to start serving in the church to go, it's not about you. A warning here though, make sure that you don't give them the serving opportunities that are too much for their maturity level at this point. Like if you're a spiritual child, we don't want them leading a D3 group at this level. Not yet, but they certainly should be in one. You tracking with me? So how can you tell if a spiritual child is growing into that next phase of development? Because they start to see it's not what they get from others and the church, but what they give to others in the body of Christ. We call this next level the spiritual young adult. The five stages of spiritual maturity are the spiritually dead, number two, the spiritual infant, number three, the spiritual child, number four, the spiritual young adult. Is this making sense? It's at this level you'll really see some successful discipleship, some fruit of the Spirit coming out. You'll see them grow into the next phase. The Apostle John says in 1 John three sixteen through 18, he says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for, our, for the brothers. But if anyone has the wor- world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We love others just like Jesus did. We give our lives to be servants for them. It's a mindset for sure. A spiritual maturity, a way of thinking that the Holy Spirit gives us to put our, ourselves and our wants behind the needs of others. We begin to see that it's about loving others, about God first and then other people second, then us. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, don't confuse this spiritual level of maturity with physical age. This is spiritual maturity that we're talking about. You can sense someone has reached this level of spiritual maturity when they are God-focused and others-focused. 
instead of just focusing on themselves. Like we said just a moment ago, it's okay to have spiritual infants and spiritual children serve in the church body. They need to. It's important for their growth. But what's interesting is that they'll usually only serve if they see the benefits for themselves. Spiritual infants and children. Like if the benefit outweighs the cost, then they'll go, then I'll serve. But a spiritual young adult will serve the church because it gives glory to God and they want to love the people around them. You see the difference? You hear this young adult maturity level when they say things, phrases from the stage like, I love my group. Man, I, I would hate to leave my group, but there's people out there in the church who need a group just like this and ours is full. Maybe, maybe I should start one. They say things like, with a little help, I think I could help lead a student D3 group or maybe even meet for coffee with someone. They say things like, praise God, I had to walk two blocks to church today because we were so full, there were no parking places close by. Or they'll say things like, hey, in my quiet time and in my prayer time of reading the Bible, I saw dot, 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 this. As a pastor, I love it when I hear that kind of thing because I know they are about to become the fifth level, the spiritual parent. The spiritual parent. You've heard me refer to it a couple of times already. Already, The five stages of spiritual maturity are the spiritually dead, the spiritual infant, number three, the spiritual child, number four, the spiritual young adult, and then the last, the spiritual parent. We use the word parent here and not just the word adult. Did you notice that? Because a parent, what a parent does is they reproduce. If you're unclear on that, I don't know what to say. (laughs) But we should probably talk. And listen, not just to be funny, but a, like a physical parent, it's not just that you make a baby. That's the easy part of being a parent. But being a parent is walking with a child through each phase of their development all their life. Being up at night with them when they're babies, getting them ready for school, sitting down with them, doing homework at night going, you've got a girlfriend? Great. Why are you crying about it? Oh, I don't know if she likes me or I don't know if he likes me. What I'm saying is you keep being a parent until you're dead. You change how you parent as they grow. And when they reach adulthood, you watch as then they raise their children. Spiritual parents are intentional then about making other disciples who in turn make other disciples. Now, walking with someone through each stage of spiritual maturity and as they develop, as they walk through the hardships of life or when they grow. Now, don't get this Don't get this wrong idea here. You don't have to wait until you've reached maturity until you start helping other people. You may not even be a spiritual parent like you're just a spiritual uh, little kid, but you can help other little kids with you. You know what I mean? You can encourage them. But no matter what spiritual maturity you are at other than being spiritually dead, you can walk with other believers, help disciple them, encourage them, exhort them. But what we're saying is that making other disciples is the mark of a mature follower of Christ. It is that mark of spiritual parenthood. 
And not just doing it once or twice, but doing it over and over with people until we die. Now, another warning I I, I need you to hear. Look up at me here. This is going to save you lots of pain. Don't consider higher stages of discipleship as greater worth to Jesus. Don't consider higher stages of discipleship as somehow greater worth to Jesus. I've seen that happen. When a guy or a girl thinks that they've arrived at being the pinnacle of worth in the body of Christ, they want everyone to know that they are God's gift to the church. Now, I'm not saying that you hide your discipleship of others, but you also don't have to say, uh, stand up in front of everybody and go, I disciple him, him, her, her, him, look how great I am, and somehow claim some false glory for yourself. That's actually a mark of immaturity for a young adult that is playing like they're a parent. When someone is all prideful about being spiritually Mature as a person, you know they are about to fall in a big hole of spiritual pride. And it's going to be ugly. I've seen this with several pastors in my years. Folks, it's been me. The truth is that greater responsibility means more work, not less. But you notice what I've also been saying here, uh, the greater the spiritual maturity, the greater humility. Spiritual parents, they don't want the glory. They just want to see Jesus made much of. Being a spiritual parent is really when the work begins in earnest. Going up the mountains is hard, yes, but it's helping others up the mountains that's harder. A spiritual parent, they look for ways to serve others and they don't mind if their name is never mentioned. If there's a risk other than pride for a spiritual parent, we have to watch to make sure that they don't burn themselves out. That's always a risk for me. I have some close friends in here, the shepherding elders, uh, those here at the church, a couple of guys outside the church that help shepherd me in that. I go, hey, Paul, you need need to take a break. Here's what the spiritual parents are doing in the church. They are intentional about seeking out relationships so that they can disciple someone. In other words, they look for people who need to be discipled. It's like they're a shark in the church. They're swimming around. They go, oh, there's a new one. I want to consume them with love. I want to serve them. They invite people to church regularly from their little sphere of influence. They see the the need to work together in teams to grow others. They're not threatened by other spiritual parents helping. Or in other words, they realize they can't be the only one in a new believer's life. That we need a whole church to raise people up. They've got to work with their entire body of believers or what we call the body of Christ. So that the new believer is not just connected to one other person but several other people in the body of Christ. Here's something really key to know as a spiritual parent. They know that they need to feed themselves spiritually. We're going to talk about that next week. 
where the spiritual infant and the child are saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. The spiritual parent is very capable and, and of learning to feed themselves from Scripture and hearing the Word of God preached each week at their church. The phrase from the stage that you'll hear from spiritual parents are things like, how are you doing? I mean, really. How are you doing? How can I be praying for you? They'll say things like, hey, I noticed that you hadn't been at D3 group in a couple of weeks. What's up? You okay? You hear them say things like, we get to baptize like three people from our D3 group this weekend. I've been praying for this for years. Or guys at work have asked me to start another Bible study. I'm so pumped. Folks, This is what we long for. This is the kind of church body that changes a community. Let's be honest, changes the world. By the way, one of the things spiritual parents love is when they begin to see the life transformation in the lives of people they are serving. I gotta tell you, I'm addicted to life change. I love it to see marriages healed, to see people see people break the chains of sin that held them captive to develop a love for scripture to see generational sin broken in people's lives to see children brought up in the love of Jesus and miss all the heartache that Satan wants to throw their, their way That kind of stuff is what brings glory to God. It makes his name famous because the world can see that stuff happening too. We started with a simple question. What is the level of my spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus? It's easy to look at others first and try to think through how mature are they? But let's make sure and turn that around right now and ask ourselves... Let's take a moment to think through this in a moment that we'll take. We're going to pray. But if you would, just go ahead and close your eyes. Just you and God. We've talked today about how we can identify where we are in spiritual maturity and everything we've shared is true. But what we haven't talked about yet much is the work that God is doing right now in your own heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. As you have heard the words of the Bible today and listened, what has God been saying to you? Have you been able to identify, maybe maybe it's screamed at you, the spiritual level of maturity that you are right now? What do you need to do to grow to that next level? Who do you need to be able to connect with? Is it that you've just been a friend of Bentree and you need to be a member and you need to engage? Is it that you're a member but you kind of kept everyone at kind of arm's length to protect your heart? And like we said last week, man, getting in Invested in people's lives is messy. 
Is it that you need to serve? Is it that you've been making excuses for not being in a D3 group? Is it that you come to church once a month? What's keeping you from growing to that next level? Is it that you were spiritually dead until today? You notice I say you were. Because did this make sense to you? Like would you classify yourself as spiritually dead? But this is ringing true that God would love you so much that when you were ready to spit in his face and say something horrible to him that he would send his son Jesus to die for your sin. Listen to me. If you believe that, that Jesus is the son of God, you've been regenerated, born again. You're a baby Christian now. You've been born from above. So what do you need to do? The first thing you need to tell somebody. Come tell me after the service. I'll be outside. Tell one of the other pastors, Pastor Hal or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Hunter. Find one of the shepherding elders. They've got a little name tags on. You can do that. Tell somebody. But then get baptized. Proclaim it. I'm saved you see what we're doing right now I'm asking you to pray I'm talking with you I'm saying I'm asking questions but hopefully the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now respond pray something like this God Help me to see where I am in my growth, in my maturity. And show me what I need to do to grow into that next stage. Show me where to serve. Provide a D3 group for me. God, help me to to be brave enough to finally get baptized. God, help me to read my Bible. Can you pray those things? pray this, God, give me a friend that can walk this discipleship with me. A spiritual parent that I can walk arm in arm in with. Well, God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this church that you've clearly brought together. God, we thank you for the spiritual parents in the room and in the church. We thank you for all the, the young spiritual Adults that are pouring into people and discipling people. God, we thank you for the spiritual children in the room. God, help them to grow into that. Show us how we can love them. And God, we thank you for the spiritual infants. That you would grow them quickly and help us to know how to feed them, how to grow them in you. Thank you for your salvation. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.